Welcome back to Women of AB Poly. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And I'm Deirdre's co-host, <laughs> Kathleen Smith, aka Kiki Planet, coming to you live from my stunning Rated a Zero by Rate My Room. Y'all got like your nice artwork and your political signs and your plants, and I just have the gray wall. But you did just you just painted that though. This you did is just true. create your space. I, I did, did just painted it, and it was uh, our daughter's room until a couple months ago. So now I just have to figure out what to do so that I don't look like a fool sitting in front of this gray wall every time <laughs> with, we record. With the halo. Is that yes. just this time of the year? The it's, sun is just perfect for well, right Well, this now? whole wall beside me is a window. Okay. It's just an entire wall of window, and I haven't put up blinds or anything because I kind of like the natural light. <laughs> But seriously, I mean, I look like I've been hanging out in Chernobyl. <laughs> you are glowing. The glow you are glowing. coming. I mean, <sighs> and so we are welcoming to the podcast today uh, two municipal councillors from Lethbridge. We have Belinda Croson. Welcome, Belinda. Hi. Thank you for having me. And from Spruce Grove, we have Councillor Aaron Stevenson. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you all need to know Aaron's hair is fabulous today. Right? We always we always make these comments about what's what we can see because we don't publish the video. It's been a boon. It's been a boon <laughs> to not publish video, but well, thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate that. Yes, and so we're we're in an election year, which automatically puts, you know, everybody in in the spotlight yet again. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, where where you're from, where you grew up, and, and how you ended up kind of making this move from what I imagine is, you know, community builder, community engager was going to come out wrong, and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, <laughs> from that, <laughs> too to, late to pull back now, Deirdre. Was. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I edit. So let's. So yeah. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, Belinda, do you want to go first? Well, I'm born and raised here in southern Alberta. Grew up in a little town called Enchant, which has mm. all of 100 people. Came into Lethbridge for university and basically haven't left. Yeah. <laughs> and I call myself an accidental politician. Mm. I had a, have a teaching degree. I taught at the museum for 17 years. I was a city employee before making the uh, jump over to council. And I have always been active in the community because everybody I know has always been active in the community. When you're from a small town, if, if everyone's not active in the community, you don't have a community. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And my, you know, my mom volunteered. She was on you know, a lot of boards. She did a lot of other things. She worked as well when I was growing up. So I've been inspired by so many people that to even try to list would be impossible. Oh, and I didn't know lucky. you didn't do politics. Like you just do. Erin. Uh, so I grew up in Spruce Grove. Uh, not born, but raised certainly in Spruce Grove. But like, I think many young people that grow not like grow up in a smaller town or city that's not far from the city, I was quick to want to leave this city. So I did live out of province. And when I did move back to the province, I moved into Edmonton, you know, because when you're in your 20s and early 30s, uh, your priorities are a little different. And some of the small cities and towns maybe can't um, 
offer that. But as you grow older and you settle and you want to figure out what you want to do with your life, I wanted to come back to Spruce Grove. So I moved back. Um, I'm not married, don't have kids. So I had to go somewhere where I could afford my house and what I wanted and to be close to the rest of my nieces and nephews. And of course, my parents, I'm that oldest child. So I, <laughs> I feel that responsibility to take care of and be there for my parents. So I moved back about seven or eight years ago. And it was actually um, a colleague at the university that I work at, like my day job. Um, and he he was the one that pointed out to me that the city council in Spruce Grove wasn't a reflection of what Spruce Grove was now. And it certainly didn't reflect who I was as a person. And that really struck home a bit as, as you're coming back to a community and you want to get involved, you really do realize you have to have lots of representation. And if I wanted to see change, I'm always that person that thinks if I'm not willing to lead the change, I can't expect others just to step up for me. So it sort of just became an overnight decision. I think a lot of us, it's, it's one day you're thinking about it, the next day you're all in. And, and really it, it just came from outside influences. A lot of men in particular that said, you're ready to step up and, and you would be a, a great person. And there was just lots of community support. So I had lots of influence from, from many people in the community and, and colleagues, you know, at my university. We've had a few conversations about what it's like if you're missing that, that level of support. And it's, it's always fascinating to hear, you know, how, how people and women in particular are just are willing to take this leap. Like you said, going from one day of, oh, I'm kind of thinking about it to now I'm in it. But that community support, that, that rally around you just seems to make so much difference, which I, yes, of course that makes sense, but we've got to point it out every single time because for everyone who's listening, do you know someone who could use a little more support? <laughs> because they can. <laughs> Yeah, and Erin, I really like what you said about uh, how council didn't reflect you, because I think that's something that we're we're talking about more and more now in politics is how government bodies have historically and still to this date not reflected the community at large. You know, I I. Uh, I think about a Notley tweet from late last week, early this week, about how the NDP is striving to have at least 50% of their candidates be women for the next provincial election. That's great. I applaud that. What surprised me was the number of men who responded with, well, that's fine, as long as it doesn't become a war on men, which I I really, I, I was kind of struck by how when it was all men and specifically all white men, no one ever said this is a war on women, this is a war on indigenous persons, this is a war on black people. Women are 51% of the population and indigenous people in Canada are four to 6% of the population and we're not seeing ourselves represented in the numbers or the percentages that we should. So I think that's a a very important factor too. Do we want our government bodies to reflect the community at large and the community as a whole? Mm -hmm. In Lethbridge, the demographic data from 2016 showed that 50.9% of the population was female, but 
Belinda. <laughs> Belinda is the only woman on council in Lethbridge. And only the 19th since the 1950s. So even for a city of 100,000, we haven't had that many. And I think the most we've had at any one time has been three on council at once, but usually it's one or two. Like it, it's, it is a small percentage and all white, of course, as well. Mm. Uh, even the women on there haven't been representative of the larger group. And one of the things we realize when you're talking about, you know, people pushing back, there's that really strange concept of the zero sum game that if you win, I lose. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it actually helps everybody when we're more diverse because the perspectives are widened and there's so many more ideas around the table. We are going to be fighting for the next several years now to be coming out of this recession with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And if we can get diversity around our city staff, around our council tables, around our volunteers, et cetera, we'll have better ideas. And that'll help any municipality who's smart enough to do that to get through this recession faster. So there are not just it's the right thing to do, but it's a smart thing to do. That's a fantastic point. I mean, the work, the challenges that are ahead for all of us are going to be the type that we haven't seen in decades and possibly even in modern history. And the more people who can contribute to uh, coming up with solutions for those problems, the better off we're all going to be. That is that's something that we actually don't hear nearly as often, that there is no limit to the number of solutions that governments should have that we should all have available to us to be sifting through. Because, you know, even even when you even when you say, well, this is going to work on one level, but hey, we can also do this and we can also do this. And so it it really is beneficial for, I think, any leadership and any community that is willing to put that question out there and receive the response. Not just not just ask for it, but receive the responses and actually <laughs> look at these things and say, because because it isn't, you know, like you said, it's not a zero sum game here. We're we're facing we're facing a lot of difficult decisions. We're facing we're in need of a lot of solutions. It's not going to be just one solution. It's going to be a lot of solutions working together. Yeah. We're all sounding super smart today. I'm just just gonna I know I'm very impressed <laughs> with us. We're very this is heady stuff today. <laughs> It sure is, but it's good. It's good. And, and I actually like, again, that we are, you know, I keep saying we, we keep hearing some of these things over and over again, but it's so important that we hear them because it's coming from everywhere where everyone is saying we need more voices at the table. Everyone is saying, and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter where they're coming from, but in uh, municipal leadership, there is such a lack of diversity and and it it's it's shocking actually how mm-hmm. how little diversity there is at these council tables and we also know too that municipal politics is probably one where there's the least amount of participation it's the one that affects you closest to home yes. it has the lowest turnout dean human <laughs> it's very true dean human of focused communications here in Edmonton has said several times that that is where the the real governing of our lives happens at the municipal level. The things that affect us on a daily basis happen at the municipal level. And yet the majority of people can't tell you who their city councillor is. 
If you're in Edmonton or Calgary, they can't tell you who it is. And that's very concerning. I remember somebody saying once that if the federal government disappeared, you'd probably figure it out about a month from now. Not during the (laughs) pandemic, but normally. If the provincial government disappeared, it might take you a week to figure out they're not there. But if the city government disappeared and your water is shut off and your electricity is gone and your garbage isn't picked up, we'll get a call in five minutes going, where are you? We are part of every part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And especially it's wintertime in Alberta, right? (laughs) Every single person looks out their window in the morning and says, can I make it out of my driveway today? Just it, you know, it's, it's, it is something that you, that you look at. And I have more than once been like, I'm so happy I'm on a bus route because it, it, because it does get plowed faster. When I lived in Sylvan Lake, our, we were in a, in a, not in a close, but in a crescent. When we were <laughs> in the wintertime, it was, it, there was a little bit of a hill to it. And one winter I had to drive um, a Dodge Charger, which was not what I wanted in the winter ever. But I did have to drive this sucker and I got stuck so many times I couldn't make it out of my crescent. So, so exactly like as soon as you walk out of your house, when you wake up in the morning, you go to flip your lights on, you go to wash your face. It's immediate what your municipal uh, taxes are paying for, what your municipal government is responsible for, and also getting out of our driveways. So in that vein, uh, what what do we see right now as the barricades to more women and uh, more Indigenous women and more people of colour running our local government? Erin, maybe we'll start with you. What do you think the barricades you personally have encountered have looked like? I would say I'm pretty lucky in terms of I didn't feel I had as many barricades because I ran in a community that I'm very well known. Like I grew up in a town or a city at one point that was less than 10,000 people. You knew everyone. Quite a few of us had name recognition behind ourselves before we even ran. But even at a smaller town or city level, you have a few, you do have a few barriers. The first one is funding. It does Mm -hmm. cost money to run a campaign. And there are, there's just a certain amount of um, funds that you do need if you want to put up signage. Signage is your biggest cost. So you, you do need a certain amount. And I think there's a lot of women that are just very uh, hesitant to go out and ask for money. I know in this last election, I was hearing from some of the men, they were just literally walking from door to door of businesses being like, give me 500 bucks. And it was like, Oh my gosh, I would like, like I can barely ask someone for 25 bucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the balls on men literally and figuratively. <laughs> didn't win by the way Um, but you know just just their approach that um they're not afraid to get out there and and ask for money and go door to door and be quite aggressive where I think women and I'm I'm obviously making a very big generalization here Mm -hmm. but women I think take a softer approach and the biggest barrier we have is ourselves it is the level of self-doubt I don't know how many women politicians I've spoken to are potential candidates that it's this imposter syndrome that we have going and it drives me even to this day. I still have it every single day. I have to fight this, right? Like there will be men that run just because they think that they would be a great voice where women we're lining up our education credentials. We are researching the crap out of every single document that's on the city website. We are trying to create, um, you know, support before 
before we go out there where a lot of men will just jump in and figure that stuff out after. So we have to find a way to support ourselves and to find a way to use that imposter syndrome to our advantage. I love what you said there. The biggest barrier is ourselves because it is time and time again, in so many ways, it is ourselves. It is imposter syndrome. It's expecting more of us than we ever expect of the people that we've already voted for. Absolutely true. Yeah. And Belinda, what uh, have you seen as barriers beyond that? That's certainly part of it. We know that women will not apply for a job unless they're overqualified and men will just apply. Yeah. Um, Right. So we have to have that conversation with women constantly going, you can do this. Like we have to mentor. Um, The other thing, let's be blunt, racism and sexism. Yeah. Right. When you're looking at Indigenous women, when you're looking at women of color, we are going to see racism in a way that I'm not going to be having to deal with. And that is certainly part of our communities, however we like to hide it. Um, And so that's a big part of it. And the other thing is, I mean, somebody like myself in a leadership position, we have to be willing to step aside at some point as well and go, you know what, I've been around this table. I'm going to get help somebody else get around this table because there's so much else I can do in the community and still be part of my community. I don't need to be here. And so it's also knowing when it's your chance to be the promoter and get other women around that table. I love that. I love that. Amplifying those who can step in and contribute more. Right. And I'm just, I'm, this is just striking me now. Um, Like I know we had a conversation with Donna Kennedy Glantz, who was an MLA. Uh, She's now working with um, uh, Ask Her in Calgary. And in Edmonton, we have Parity YEG. We have Equal Voice uh, South. I think Equal Voice North. Are they just, are they just by uh, direction? But Equal Voice I know is is provincial, yet um, I know that they are also sectioned off. But what like, so Parity YEG, probably closest for people that are running in the Edmonton area. Uh, is there something specific in your area, Erin, that you know that's, that's, that's something that is doing the same thing? Do you know of any other councillors that when they stepped aside, then turned around and said, who else wants to run? I'm here. Ask me anything. It's a short answer. And I think oftentimes when you are in the smaller cities and like Lethbridge is not a small city by any stretch, but we often think Edmonton and Calgary. And when we think of municipal politics, even when you're in Spruce Grove, you think Edmonton and Calgary. So when I ran in 2017, I actually attended a parody YEG session okay. went into the city to attend but I know that that's I think that's there's a recognition there that you know parody yeah, I can do things but there's a lot of us that aren't and there is an informal group of women politicians led by Councillor Bev Esslinger out of Edmonton that we get together twice a year where we check in with each other as uh, women politicians in particular and just to talk about like how are you doing what sort of things are you facing because I'm very lucky. I have two other women counselors, but yeah. we have many in, in our region that don't have anyone other than themselves. So it, it creates this wonderful informal sisterhood. And what it also does is it gives us the opportunity to then figure out we are also responsible to mentor other women in our community, encourage them to step up and sit at the table. You know, we'll make a bigger table or we'll find ways to include them. A lot of times people just want that opportunity. So This has really opened our eyes to say, we also have a responsibility to ensure that other women 
feel that they can come and sit at the table with us as well. And Belinda, what's going on in Lethbridge? Um, it's there is some underground stuff. A lot of this stuff is being like some of the labor groups because some of the labor groups um, are being run by women. So they have women presidents and stuff. So I find quite often the labor groups are sometimes, you know, the feminist groups too, um, because mm. there's an overlap there. So sometimes there's that kind of underground stuff. The library has done some presentations where they brought in women who've been politicians in the past just to talk to anybody who wants to be a counselor. So there are a few things that are formally done and some informal. I was blessed. I sat down with three ex-women aldermen. They were aldermen then. Of course, we changed right. names. Um, from Dr. Barb Lacey to Bridget Mearns. You know, they were open and honest, and we had an amazing conversation. They gave me so much support about you know how to move ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily that we were always in agreement on policy, right? But um, helped move the process, and that was unbelievable. The other thing I have is a friend who is an ex-city clerk. If you know ex-city clerks or anybody who's worked in city administration, don't only look to the politicians for support because some of the ex-administration who can now be a little more political will give you amazing advice. Good that's point. Good. Insider. Yeah. Insider. Yeah. No, that's that's fantastic. And I kind of wonder too, you know, we've, we've talked many times about the bad about this pandemic, but one of the... One of the good things to me, I guess, at its you know best, was that it did force a lot of people online, but not just people who were looking for something else or looking for services they might enjoy. It also forced people who are offering these things online, right? And that has, uh, to me, like I, I travel around, I go to all the policy conventions for, for the political parties, and them being online <clears throat> has been fantastic for me. I don't have to travel. I don't have to pay for a hotel room. I still get to, now I, I'm missing some, I'm missing those side conversations. I'm missing what people are really talking about, but I mean, I get the, the news. I get why I'm there. Uh, so I'm still getting that and I don't have to leave my house, but also, you know, <laughs> that's my always, favorite part. <laughs> it really is. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, pajama pants, but today I'm going grocery shopping. So I'm fully dressed today. Um, But, but it is something that I think I I really want to see more people offering these things through zoom because, and even a university of Calgary. So because of the pandemic, they, they do like a one day course kind of thing. It's $75. Well, due to the pandemic, it was finally offered province wide, right? Like these are, this is absolutely uh, things that should be offered to pe- to anyone who wants to participate. And, and we have, you know, uh, we've got professionals who are more than willing to, to spread the information, but they're looking at, okay, well, we have to, you know, we've got to advertise in the local paper. We've got to do this. No, now you just need a Zoom and get it, you know, move it around on Facebook a little bit. Like people will show up. So this is one thing, I mean, access to some of this um, assistance, access to these professionals and these experts, this is something that I'm actually, I kind of think, thanks, pandemic, because, (laughs) you know, this could, this could have been done for years. Yes, I was traveling to Edmonton. I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm traveling to Edmonton instead. And like, I was, I, I was traveling all over the province, right? And I was doing that. I had a full-time job. I've got kids. But, oh, there's something happening. I'm going to rush up to Edmonton for, you know, an hour and come back because I have to work in the morning. Like, that's 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 seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> that's ridiculous. 
anyways, so, you know, these are, these are things that I'm kind of hoping will become just more commonplace. Yeah. That, yeah. that these things can be offered and accessible because especially when we're looking at people in small towns, there might, you know, maybe, maybe no one's really thought of, Hey, maybe there are a bunch of people who might consider running for counselor. Like I haven't seen anything in Strathmore, but I could probably do that. I'll just make myself a note. <laughs> I could host that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, let's, uh, let's talk for a little bit because we don't want to paint a picture of serving on city council as a cakewalk. It's a party. <laughs> yeah. It's a party every day. The only so, real issue is getting you to run. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> let's talk for a bit about the, uh, the demands. That's a topic I'm always interested in because I think too often, especially when it comes to women candidates, we ignore that historically women have far more demands on their time and far more responsibilities than perhaps uh, their their man counterparts who run. Um, full disclosure, about six, or, it would have been eight years ago before John Iveson's first win, it would have been his first campaign. I had seriously considered uh, running in my ward and Karen Libavici, who has been, I, she's a woman I just have so much respect and um, adoration for. She took quite a bit of time on several occasions to sit and talk with me about that and definitely really encouraged me to pursue it. But she also was quite honest and transparent about the demands that actually come with serving on council. And she said to me, are, are you willing to deal with people 24-7? Are you willing to put a smile on your face and be pleasant when someone else is being a jerk? Now, anyone who reads my Twitter feed knows that I'm not that willing to do that. And when push came to shove, I realized, no, some of us aren't suited council and I'm definitely one of them because I have no filter and people mostly annoy me so what what have uh, what difficulties in within the context of dealing with the stress of this job every day have you both encountered Aaron let's start with you what what have been the real eye-openers for you you really don't understand what you're up for and what you are expected to deal with. So in Spruce Grove, we are part-time counselors. So that in and of itself is air quotes. <laughs> air quotes, because it is a 24 seven job. Almost all of us on council have full-time jobs elsewhere. So right there, we're balancing two jobs, a full-time job and then another part-time job where you're on all the time. And people don't care that you work 8.30 to 4.30 at another place. If they wanna get a hold of you, they want you to pick up the phone immediately. So there's a balance right there just with my work. Even though I'm not married, um, my brother lives with me as well as his son, who they moved in eight years ago for a couple months and they're still here. So even though I'm not a, uh, a mother, I'm a parent. I have a child at home and he we're keeping him home during the pandemic. So I'm trying to balance online school. I'm working from home full time with my other job. And then I'm doing this job. And then I'm going to school. So I'm, I'm just a ridiculous person in terms of time management, <laughs> wanting to fill every minute of my day. But 
the hardest part is, is that people always want to think that everyone else thinks like them. So the minute someone comes at you, they think you should be advocating on their behalf because everyone thinks that way. And if you push back or even try to have a little bit of a conversation with them, they threaten you with voting you out. And <laughs> thank God there's an election coming. And it just <laughs> not even a half an hour before this, they said, you know, I was just simply explaining that I didn't have a role in the reopening of the pool in the city. <laughs> it really only, and they were angry with me. And I just said, I'm just trying to give you the facts. I'm not trying to fight you, but you know, and then, so it's always that veiled threat. And at first you, you get taken aback by it, but after three and a half years, you're like, you yeah, know, okay. At like every <laughs> person wants to vote me out. So that's fine. Um, but there, you want to do a good job. You want to be able to communicate. And, but there are times that you have to learn when to bite your tongue. And I'm not very good at that sometimes. And that's why I get in trouble. But then there are other times you have to learn to just let things go. Right. And you have to say, I'm just not going to engage with this person because they are just out to, to yeah, to push my buttons, to try and, to try and get me to say something that, you know, they can use against me and stuff. You know, early in my political career, three months in, I did get my hand slapped pretty hard uh, with that. And, you know, so you're always on edge. You're always, you have to watch every single thing you say. You have to watch every single thing you wear. Amazingly, most people love when I change my hair color every six weeks. I'm surprised like that that isn't used against me. So you're, you're always a little bit stressed. It is very stressful. And the pandemic, you know, if you're a naturally empathetic person, this pandemic is taking a toll on you mm -hmm. and it is one thing to an experience a pandemic but sometimes when you feel like you're responsible for an entire community's safety you have sleepless nights and you wonder if you're making the right decision you know when we introduce mass bylaws you just it's a constant worry so yeah. you know if you love to be a worry wart we're almost a year into this there is a lot of anger out there i know i feel it i know when i'm fin finally out of isolation I'm going to have to slowly relaunch myself into normal society because I'm, I'm miserable with people at the drop of a hat now for no reason. And it's just because we've all got this rage just simmering, right, that we're trying to stay on top of. And with the rage, there's the confusion and the fear and the hopelessness and the not seeing an end in sight. And it eats away at all of us. And eventually that that comes out in our our interactions with each other, I think. So I think we're all going to have to relaunch ourselves slowly and <laughs> gently when the time comes. Belinda, what have, uh, what have you found the most trying parts of serving? First, everything Aaron said is so accurate. And it's nice to hear somebody else say it so you know you're not the crazy one. <laughs> we all experience exactly the same. Because I was a city employee, I had to quit when I got elected. So I had to give up my other job because, of course, they wouldn't let me be my own boss. I would have been a great boss. They wouldn't allow that. So I was lucky enough, fortunate enough that I didn't need to get another job. So mm -hmm. I, even though it's a part-time job, it is my full-time job. And um, so I try to go above and beyond. I do did a lot of the school tours. Now we've done a video on civics for the kids. But I did a lot of the school tours. And one that I remember was when I told the kids that, you know, we used to have our meetings on Monday. We've now moved to Tuesday. But on Sunday, I would get ready and I would do about six hours of work on Sunday prepping for the agenda and sometimes reading up to 700 pages for the agenda. And it freaked the kids out that, A, I worked on a Sunday, B, that I had to read 700 pages. <laughs> and, I'm like, and that's every week, guys. Like, you know, like... Because next week, I think I have a thousand pages between all the different agendas that are in front of us. 
And so I don't think people realize how much time it is behind the scenes to walk into a meeting and to actually know what you're talking about, to do the work. And what you get provided by staff is only part of it. If you're not doing extra research and if you're not talking to the community and if you're not going above and beyond, you're only getting the perspective of staff. So there is so much more work to it. And so, yeah, we're we're considered part-time, but it's one of the least part-time jobs I've ever had in my life. If you do it well. And so I'm, I am fascinated by the people who can juggle them. But I'm also like I volunteer on a lot of boards and I'm also an author and I'm trying to finish three books this year. So that might also take some of my time. Mm-hmm. I feel a little shamed. I'm sitting here thinking, well, I, I reorganized my sock drawer this morning. <laughs> like, like Karen, I don't have kids. I mean, she has people in her home actually there. I get my house to myself. So that was always a nice thing before the pandemic. I could shut the door and come home and, you know, like be away but now because of zoom i'm never away from work so instead that's that's part of the pandemic i'm not loving and there's other parts that you know you can see how it's working better in some ways but we're on 24 hours even more now Mm -hmm. because drop of a hat somebody can schedule a meeting with you and i i think that's an important point that we should reiterate for all of our our listeners that that doesn't only apply to municipal government It's at every level of government. So, you know, we see a lot of complaining online, um, especially about provincial politicians. Well, how often do they work anyway? How many months of the year do they actually work? Who there's a lot of people who really think the only time that our elected representatives are actually working is when we're seeing them in question period or when we're seeing them in council meeting. And that's not the case, which is the main reason why I won't run, because I'm really not that much of a worker. I'm just kidding. That's a lie. It's because I don't like people. (laughs) That's the real reason. (laughs) But I I do think it's important that we stop to recognize that for a moment, that uh, this this isn't an easy pass being an elected official. Mm -hmm. This isn't a nine to five job with summer and, and Christmas off. And I have nothing but respect for those who are willing to put their names forward and willing to actually do the job above and beyond what the uh, citizenry thinks they're doing. We also have to be very clear with young people or anybody who wants to run. This is an awesome job. Yes, there's a lot of work, but it is so worth it. When you can get a good idea through, when you can sit with diverse opinions and get a consensus, when you can make the system work the way it's supposed to and it's constantly evolving, this is awesome because you are affecting your community and people's lives. And yes, you always have the worry going, did I do the right thing? Have I, you know, what have I forgot? Who's being ignored? But when it works well, this is awesome. I love what you said about building a consensus too, because this is something else that is so often lost in conversations about municipal government and especially during municipal campaigns where you have candidates for council, candidates for mayor who conveniently neglect to explain that while they might have this great idea or this crappy idea that some people really love, they are one vote. They are one vote. It doesn't matter if it's the mayor 
or the councillor, they are one vote. And if that mayor cannot build consensus, if that councillor can't bring people more in on their fantastic plan, it doesn't happen anyway. So when we're heading into municipal elections, like we are right now, everyone, please keep in mind that everyone on your council is one vote. And that's why we need to elect people who can build consensus on council and reach across the aisle. Not that that's something we've had to worry about before in municipal politics, but more and more, I think we're seeing banners infiltrate our our municipal governments and consensus is going to matter even more on a go forward basis, I think. Obviously, having served, you would know a great deal about this, how we build uh, consensus and the uh, barriers to building consensus. So maybe you could explain a little bit of the behind the scenes process on that for our listeners. Yeah, Uh, I think the first thing is come in with an open mind and you really actually have to do active listening. And I think for our council, because four of the seven were brand new, there was a lot of listening happening. We weren't out to prove ourselves. So I think you have to listen and really engage not only with your fellow councillors, but it is really taking it out to the community. And that's one of uh, the issues that many of us ran on saying, we want to see more community engagement. And I'm not worried. If you completely disagree with me, I'd rather hear from you. Understand why you disagree with me. And, you know, there will be times that I'm going to vote in such a way that my colleagues won't agree with me and maybe residents don't agree with me. But I I hope that I have earned the respect that they understand that I've put together a series of facts in my head and I'm trying to do what I feel is best on behalf of the community. I think a good example is I brought forward the motion to ban the practice of conversion therapy. Yay, thank you, yay. Yes, it was wonderful. And immediately I knew we had support from all seven of us but there was not a lot of consensus to start as to whether or not it should be an outright ban or if, if it's even happening. So why do we need to bring in a bylaw? So what it took is me leaning on experts like Mm -hmm. Dr. Chris Wells. I think I was vocal enough that people who'd experienced conversion therapy in our, in our city actually came forward to speak to me. So you have to build that trust. Like that is, you're taking a big risk coming forward and talking to me about your experiences. So you have to be absolutely willing to listen and bring forward those facts. And I wasn't going to be swayed by somebody's opinion or some of the churches that came forward to say, Oh, you know, this isn't isn't what you think it is. It's like, I know for a fact that this is happening and it's, it's life ruining and I just don't want that. So you, you really do have to work extra hard. And I had to work very, very hard to make sure that I had the facts. I had the experts lined up and, and, and then you're working with your fellow counselors and you really have to understand, I'm going to be like, I'm going to get consensus from these four or five. And there's some that maybe in, to a certain degree will accept it, but I know the vote's going to be no on their side. And sometimes you just have to accept that. That's as far as you're going to get consensus, but I think there are times that you just have to, it it really is about respect amongst the council that we're going to argue, we're going to have different points of view. I've been on the losing end of a 6-1 vote, but we leave it there. We don't make it personal and we can go out after and and be okay with it, right? You're never going to agree. And that's healthy. 
it's also healthy sometimes to not have consensus. Belinda, what have you experienced in terms of uh, walking the line between being likable and being effective? Because I think women especially find themselves straddling that line. So how, how do you make those two meet as a, a woman serving on council? How do you maintain likability? And I just mean likability in the political sense. I don't mean it in the, you know, you should smile more, you, you look prettier <laughs> sense. I, I mean it in the, the sense of the likability that every politician worries about so that they can get their their message out and still being effective because sometimes if we're too focused on being likable, the effectiveness becomes lost. So how do you personally find the balance between those two in your work? I, I think I owe everybody respect. And I think that is something that, you know, I always work to do. Um, even if somebody sends me an email that is full of conspiracy theories and everything else, I will simply say, thank you for sharing your opinion. All the best, Belinda. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to validate the stuff, mm-hmm. but right. I was respectful enough because you at least participated and gave your opinion. So I, I owe people the respect of that. And what I have told people right from the beginning, even people who gave me money, you're not always going to agree with me. Mm-hmm. I may not um, vote the way you think, but what I owe you as a politician is the process. I owe you my hard work. I owe you my research. I owe you making sure that the process of City Hall is fair to everyone, that you have the right and the ability to give your say, to be participate, to be part of it. And I will fight like, well, like hell for a good process for you, but I don't promise you an outcome because the outcome is part of everybody's votes. And so I focus on the process and I really wish we taught more civics in this province. I wish people understood how things actually work and jurisdiction and everything. Um, And I know the video we made for the kids and our city staff is hoping to use that for everybody. Just, you know, here's an election and here's how things work. Um, And so I, because I'm a teacher, I spent so much of my time uh, quietly trying to help people understand how things actually work at city hall so that they Again, know where they fit in, know where my limits and jurisdiction is, get the access they need. I think we've seen online that the ignorance spans all level of of governments right across the country, too. I'm always amazed that one would think, you know, we've got a fairly decent public education system in Canada. And the fact I see grown adults online who don't know that, you know, healthcare is provincial, defense is federal, potholes are municipal, yeah. the, the, the most basic stuff. So obviously we're, we're failing in that regard somehow. And maybe if we did a better job at it, government would be more effective too, and right? Me- Maybe if we actually had classes that people had to take before they ran for municipal government, that might be effective too. Well, and um, the, for that. again, these are things that could be offered online. I'm just saying. But somebody would have to make do them something. do it. The ones, yeah. who, the ones who will take it will take it anyways. Yeah, that's the worst of it is that it'd just be crowded with those of us who already know. Because we'd geek out to it, right? We'd grab our our cardboard dough and all meet together to watch it. I will agree with that. I did take Paul Ferry's Everything You Need to Know About Alberta Politics uh, over the summer. And I was like, is this really, is this really for me? I'm I'm embedded in it every single day. But I, I did learn something. There was something I didn't know. That's why I took it. But 
So when we get to, you know, when we get to this idea of being on council and, and having that voice, you know, when it, when it comes to campaigning, are you really, I guess, in your experience and from what you've seen, like other, other people who've campaigned that something has stuck with you about what they've done. Municipal is different because it's really about you right? You don't have the party backing to just say, oh yeah, go to the website, check out the policies, right? You know, it's, it's kind of easy to slough off, I guess, if you're, if you're a member of a political party, but if you are running on your own, what have you seen? What have you done that you, that you really kind of, uh, that resonated with, with you as a, as a campaigning candidate? Obviously this is my first time. So when you run the first time, Ignorance is bliss, right? Because you can come up with all sorts of ideas and and policy concerns and just be able to put it out there and and take advantage that those that are incumbents are sometimes very much limited because now that I know, I'm like, hmm, I would probably not go after the same issues in the way I I did. So if you are a first-time candidate, go for it. Put every idea out there, no matter what as an incumbent now and i've been talking to my fellow counselors about this because of course everyone starts talking are you going to run again it's really hard because when you are a consensus builder when you are a true team the last thing you want to do is separate yourself out and say i did this and i did this you did this right so for a lot of us it's like okay well you might have come up with the idea and i supported it so how do i separate myself going forward so it's kind of trying it's finding that balance on what you feel you, you did individually, but I think then it's also important to say, this is also what I was able to support and, and expand upon. And so you have to build almost on not themes, but people will understand, like, if you are about sustainability, you're looking at social equity, you're looking at environmental and economic equity. So you can build on those broader themes and not getting so specific on the issue where you're going to have to go back and go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Um, you know, but it, it is, it is difficult to try and figure out how you make yourself an individual when you are the incumbent. But, you know, I, I'll just be super jealous come October that the first time candidates have an opportunity to throw everything out there and they'd act, I'm sure you'd be amazed at what actually sticks as well. So you can't be afraid to put ideas on what maybe you think is extreme. They catch on. Those, those ideas catch on. So I really encourage everyone just to think way outside the box sometimes. Melinda? One of the things about what I learned is work, work hard. Uh, my friends and I, we, had, we were out waving. We had t-shirts with my face on it. We had signs. We had lurk cards. We had, like, we did everything. And I was lucky enough, again, sat and talked to some people who, you know, have more political knowledge than I did and said, what works? And they're like, uh, municipal, just getting your name known. And I did have name recognition before, which again, isn't, you know, is easier to go when you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I, again, I was naive, right? Accidental politician. I was surprised when you would go to a debate and somebody would give a really a dumb answer, but all their stuff online was amazing. And they're like, <laughs> you know, somebody else writes that for them, right? I'm like, what? <laughs> it's not just them. Like, to me, if you're the politician, you're, I mean, you're the politician, you do your own work. Um, but some people have amazing teams behind them, even municipally. And I think that's interesting because the person who's actually voting is not the one who's coming up with the ideas. And I, I hope the public also realizes that sometimes, like, look behind the curtain. People. So for these, so for these first time campaigners, first time potential candidates, uh, and I've worked, I did work on a municipal campaign once my first 
municipal campaign. Yeah, it was, there was a lot to it. Um, and I, I, like I said, I spend, I spend my days in provincial politics mostly, or at least in, in that learning about what's going on there. I realized very quickly that I didn't feel comfortable being uh, on a municipal campaign. Also, it was for Calgary and I don't live in Calgary. So I noticed right away, all these questions that were coming up were just, you know, like, when's the blue box coming? What's the black, what's happening with the black box? Whatever. Um, but these are, these are things that, that the candidate, you know, absolutely had down, but I was just like, oh my, I have no idea what is going on, you know, in, in the municipality itself. So, of course, it, I did work for a, for a female candidate and she knew everything, which was great. Every door, everything that anybody asked, no matter how you know, mind-blowing it was to me, she's like, yep, I've got that. What would you say, yes, name recognition, and of course, that's probably one of the best things to come with. But if you don't have that, how are you um, not necessarily looking to set yourself aside from the pack, but how are you, you know, working to get your name out there? Does that, is that where the campaign actually comes from, where you might need to spend money on signs and you might need to get that lit out? I think in small communities, if you love politics, you should be planning for years. You should be volunteering on committees. You should be active in various things. You should be helping with other people's campaigns. I mean, if, if the politics is where you think you're heading, be involved in a long, long path towards it because you can find a lot of that sort of stuff there. If you're going to, if you just jump in, find as many people to help you as possible. Like just look for advice. And again, it doesn't have to be people who share the same policy background as you. Just ask people, how'd you do it? Most people are incredibly you know, welcoming and helpful. Um, and I think that is our responsibility. This morning, I did an interview with a high school student who's writing about women in politics. Next week, I'm talking to the Boys and Girls Club. I make myself as available as I can um, because people were so available to me when I decided to run. And I think that's part of it, too, is just take advice and use that advice and develop your best, you know, campaign you can but do not ever worry about asking people for help that's another issue that we women tend to have oh don't um, we don't we there are people who <laughs> want to help you ask and accept it graciously that's great advice for everyone no matter what you're doing <laughs> so then my question my last question would be how do we as women do a better job of supporting women candidates and encouraging them. What is it that you most need from us as your community to support you in your campaign and your work? Erin, I'm going to go to you first. Sure. I think, you know, when I think back, the Twitter community is a love-hate relationship. I think most of us can agree on that. (laughs) But what is amazing about social media is the connections you make. And I think we can't be afraid to amplify each other's voices. Mm-hmm. That really is what it comes down to. When, you know, when I first got onto Twitter, you think your audience at first is this is your community, but you quickly realize it's much broader than that, right? We are, we are a region, you, you can make so many connections and provide you with these connections. And obviously, Deirdre picked up on a thread that I put about women in politics, like be a cheerleader. And you don't have to agree with 
all of their policy. You don't have to be 100% behind them, especially in municipal politics. People really do try and make things black and white, right? You have to be very mm. left, you have to be very right. I live in 50,000 shades of gray on council. And so I appreciate that people will amplify my voice, even though I know that they've disagreed potentially with, with another issue. So I really think it's up to all of us to, to amplify and support. I know a lot of women candidates in, in, around the province, I follow them immediately. I DM them and say, what can I do? Like, if you just need to, to vent or you have questions, I'm here for you. And, and they're not even in my community. And I don't even necessarily know all their policy positions but I'm just happy to have that conversation with them. So we got to make space. All of us have that responsibility to make space for the women candidates. I love that. Make Mm -hmm. space and amplify. Belinda, what would you uh, add to that? Men have a role in this as well. Uh, One of the things that happens is I'll bring forward a resolution. I've done all my work. It's, you know, and the media will interview one of the men about it. I'm like, always, excuse me. So I need my male colleagues to go, you know, Belinda brought that forward and she needs to be interviewed, not me. And I do have some, like I said, I have some male colleagues who are very good at going, actually, Belinda said that first. And we need to get the men on side as much because since they don't live the experience we have, they don't know what we need. So sometimes you actually have to be quite honest with them going, did you notice that this is happening? And I need your support on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more so, right, for persons of color, Indigenous people, et cetera, we don't live their experience. So we need to listen to what they need and help create that. We're not going to change things unless we get the men to realize their role in it as well. And that is to their benefit as well. And yeah. so, you know, this is a talk about women, but men, we need you to stand up too. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> and I think we've come pretty much to the end. It's 2 p.m. I think so too. Yeah. This was fantastic. Thank you both yes. for what you've shared with us and with our listeners. And mm-hmm. hopefully there are some women who will listen to this episode and be inspired and be motivated. And even if you're not inspired to run for office, get inspired to work on a campaign. Or Get to lend fired. support in lend another support. way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because it, it really does. You know, I, I, I do love how we, we, we so often put the onus on, yes, you need to ask for help and you need to ask for this. But also, we need to speak up and say, hey, I'm here. I'm available. Right. And don't hesitate to reach out. Most of us are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to speak it's very exciting for us to share our experiences and some of the knowledge that we've learned over the last three, three yeah. years. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out and, and have that conversation. It will go a long way. It will certainly help um, going forward. Thank awesome. you both so we much. We really ended this week on a high, Kathleen. We did, <laughs> especially after my rant last night. Yeah. But I love that a lot of what we discussed on our, our last episode has now filtered into this specifically yeah. about amplifying the voices of women and amplifying the voices of black and indigenous and people of color and how that changes our community, how that's reflected in policy, go forward changes.